Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. As we do that, and uh, today we begin a new series of messages. It's a little mini-series. It's four weeks long. It's pretty short, but we get the opportunity to dive deep into a concept that we are calling made. Look at your neighbor right now. Just say, you've been made. So look at your other neighbor and say, you've been made. That's right, right? We've been made. And that word made comes from a number of scriptures starting in Psalm 139, 14. It says this, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully Let's say that again. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That truth is echoed throughout the scriptures time and time again about who made us. Job 33, 4 says this, the spirit of God has made. He has made me. The breath of the Almighty gives me life. Psalm 103 says, know that God is God. It is he who made. he made us and we are his. We are his people. My purpose will not be to convince you that God made you. Listen. I'm done with the church trying to convince people. I believe the church's job is to love people. Most of us are already convinced already that God made us. What I want to do though, is I wanna explore the story that God is unfolding in your life, your story, the ethos of what makes you you. It's all resulted in the reality that God made you. And if God made you, then he must care about you. So we talk a lot about life around here because God cares about our life. And here's the deal, God is the giver of life, we are the livers of life, and we have to remember Remember, there's an enemy that is the taker of life. And listen, God gives life, we live life, the enemy takes life, and I'm going to pray life into this room today. We want to say, enemy, you are out of this room today because the enemy wants to take from us, and all God wants to do is give us life today. Can we just pray to the God who created life and wants to give life today? Are you all ready? Let's pray to him. Father, we just pray that as we give you today, that, Lord, you would just work however you want to work. We, and we thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit, and we ask that you would do what only you can do. And that's what I pause right now. I was just thinking while worshiping, just I want to pray for anybody whose tanks feel low today. Your life feels a little low today. You feel some discouragement. You feel a little bit depressed. Maybe you feel tired. I don't know if that's where you're at, but Lord, I pray right now for anybody feeling that. If that's you right now, I want you to receive his life today. He wants to come. He wants to touch. He wants to, he wants to give you something today. I just pray, Lord, you'd fill up tanks today. You'd restore. You'd renew. You'd bring about a restoration in people's marriages and in people's lives today. We pray that in the name of Jesus. I also thought about those who are feeling really good right now. Lord, sometimes when things are good, we think, we forget, we got to keep praying. And Lord, right now, I just keep praying for those who you've been blessing. Would you just pour out more blessing? May the rivers of living water spring up even more living water. May they feel the abundance of you, Father, in their life right now. We just pray that in the name of Jesus. Bring forth your blessing. Continue to show us how good you are. Would you do that in our church, Father? Not for our sake, not for our gain, but so that we can be living, breathing examples of the glory and the presence of God at work in and among his people. We pray this in Jesus' name. We pray this in Jesus' name. We love you, Lord. We give you this day. We pray this in your holy name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Yeah, we can give him some praise today. Here's the deal. I want you to give... Let's go, let's go three fist bumps and then take a seat with three different people. Go for it real quick. And then take a seat, take a seat real quickly. 
Well, by the way, this is the perfect time to be inviting some friends to church. We don't, we don't uh, remind you of that enough probably, but we really should be inviting friends or family to church. This is the perfect time. We have a lot of opportunities for people to connect with others, connect with God, explore their faith. So I just, I just pray courage rise up in you to invite a friend, invite a family member, invite a neighbor. This is a good season to do it. All right, to begin this teaching series, I, I want us to read Psalm 139 in its entirety. It's a powerful scripture, and I'm going to have a friend come. Ashley Thomas is going to come out here. Give it up for Ashley. And she's going to read all of Psalm 139. If you need this, you can use it. If you, Yeah, you're good to go. You got it. Psalm 139. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for the darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Amen. Thank you, Ashley. Appreciate that. It's such a powerful psalm, isn't it? And verse 13 and 14, I know we, we already referenced it, but this is what I would call the title verse of the series. And I'm just going to read it again. It says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. I've titled today's message, God Made. Everyone say, God Made. made. You are not self-made. You are not home-made. You are not locally-made. You are not American-made. You are not hand-made. You are not even rubber-made. You are God-made. 
you are fearfully and wonderfully made by God. God made the heavens and the earth, right? He made everything in it. It says in Genesis 1 that he created light, he created dark land, water, vegetation, and every living creature. Genesis 1.27 says it this way. So God created, meaning he made. Everyone say he made. He made mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he made them. The fact that you are here today, I mentioned this, suggests that you probably already believe this. You likely believe that you are not here by accident. You likely believe that there wasn't some random collision that came together and all these particles started forming together to create billions of living and non-living things. You probably believe that there is a God that created the universe. In fact, 81% of Americans believe that there is a God, that he created the universe. Now, only about 56% of that believe in the God described in the Bible, and a much, much less percentage believe in Jesus as Lord. But 81% of Americans believe in some form of God. And maybe you're here today and you're like, I don't know if I believe in God. And I would say you're in the right place to explore that, and I'm glad you're here. But I would say for the 81%, I know that there's a lot of variation. And what does it mean that God made us? Some believe that God made us in the present human body form that we see now. Some believe that God exists and created to create creative order and process, and we all evolve from some form of an amoeba. <laughs> and others believe in the God of the Bible, while others believe in some other form of God, creator, maker. But nonetheless, as I've said, this is not a series that will try and prove that God made you. This is not a series to debate the origin of species. This is not a, a time in which we'll debate the re different religious views on the age of the earth. This is not a series on creationism itself, but we will talk about creation. Our job is not to convince, rather it's to speak the message of love. This is a series about God's intent when he made you. Why did he make you? And why and what plan does he have for you? Now, here's the deal. I don't claim to understand the why God does or did anything, but thankfully, his love gives us insights into his plans in the kingdom, insights into the ways in which he made us. So over this series, we're going to consider our story. We're going to consider a bit about who we are, because here's what I know, is we all have a past, we all have a present, and we all have a future. And every bit of your story, past, present, and future, God will use for the reason he made you. Even if while on your journey, you make some huge mistakes, even while on your journey, if you get into sin, even if while on your journey, there's a lot of failure, God will use it for the reason he made you. Remember, he brings life. The enemy takes life and we live life. So he gives life so we can live a lot of life. How many of you like that, right? So let's bring... Or let's just bring some clarity to where we're headed with just looking at Psalm 139 just a little bit more. King David wrote this amazing psalm. Many people over the years have marveled at really the beauty, and it's a captivating psalm in so many ways. But it outlines what theologians call the incommunicable attributes of God, meaning the attributes that belong to God and no one else. You've probably heard of these attributes. They're known as the omni-attributes. This is that he is omni or omniscient, meaning he's all-knowing. He knows everything. Omnipresent, he's everywhere all the time. He's omnipotent, meaning he's all-powerful. His power has no end, knows no bounds. 
These are the incommunicable attributes of God, meaning you'll never be these things. You'll never be omniscient. You'll never be omnipotent. You'll never be omnipresent. We may be able to demonstrate some character traits and attributes of God, such as the fruit of the Spirit, meaning you can be loving, you can be gentle, you can be kind, but you will never be all-knowing, all-present, or all-powerful. David celebrates all three of these in this psalm. He says, God is all-knowing. He knows when I sit. He knows when I rise. He knows all my thoughts. God, he talks extensively about his presence being everywhere, right? He's like, God is everywhere all the time. I mean, if I go up to the heavens, if he's there, where can I flee from your presence? I can't get anywhere without being in the presence of God. He's there at the depths, in the depths of the earth. And then he says, even God is all-powerful. God not only made me, but he ordained all the days of my life. Even things that are dark aren't dark to him because he's all-powerful. I think one of the reasons that people love this psalm so much. This really is one of everyone's favorite psalms. I mean, you got Psalm 23, you got Psalm 139. These are, like, these are like competing psalms in terms of people's favorite psalm. And it speaks directly, the reason I think they love it so much is it speaks directly to the intention and personal nature in which God made us. Again, verse 13, we're going to look at that one more time. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. You know this. <laughs> Another scripture echoes the same truth in Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Man, he's got a plan for you and he knew it before you were born. Oh, and by the way, you are his masterpiece. When we consider that God created us with intention and purpose, I think it makes us sit up a little bit more. Like, hmm, God created me with a purpose. I wonder what it is. I wonder why he created me the way he created me. I wonder why he created me the skin color I am. I wonder how he, why he created me the height that I am. Why am I 5'3"? Why am I 6 foot? Why am I 6'9"? For those of you tall people in the room. Like, like he's, he's wondering, we, we start to wonder, why, why am I a one? Why am I a five? Why am I a nine on the Enneagram scale? Like, what makes me me? Why do I tick the way I tick? Why did God create me the way he did and the place he did and the time he did? We start asking these questions because if God created us and he made us and he made us with a purpose and a plan, we're his masterpiece, surely he has something in mind for us. In Jeremiah 1.5, there's an amazing scripture that the Lord gave to Jeremiah, who was a prophet, and it says this, I knew you before I formed you. Mm -hmm. One more time. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart for a special work. And even though this is a message for the prophet Jeremiah, this is also words that we are able to receive as his chosen people because that's what he calls us. He calls us his chosen people. Let me give you another verse. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen people. Everyone say chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises. Why? What, what are we doing? We are declaring the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light, which is an echo again of Psalm 100 verse 3 when he says this, it is he who made us. We are his. We are his people. So when I think about how we were made and why we were made, I quickly begin to think about just creation in general, and all the amazing, powerful things 
in God's creation, including you and I, including our human body, right? I mean, how he made us, it's miraculous. Like, I don't know if you've ever thought about creation. I'm sure you have. If you've ever thought about a tree and how crazy it is. If you ever looked at an ocean and thought, where is the water coming from? If you've ever looked at an elephant and said, what in the world just happened? Like, if you've ever had those thoughts, well, I want you to just consider the human body, and it will leave you speechless. Let's consider the human eye this morning. Are you all ready? Let's consider the eye. The eye is one of the hallmarks of God's elegance. Our eyes begin to develop in the womb. Tissues form the eye and and begin to perform a precise choreography through carefully timed steps in the development to be ready at the precise moment when you are born so you can open your eyes. After a child is born, their eyes begin to take in data. Light protons hit the back of the retina, which converts patterns of light into electrical signals. And this data of light protons and electrical signals are sent down the optic nerve to the brain for interpretation of information. However, the brain cannot interpret the data until memories are formed. And for future reference, they are then able to interpret those memories to mean that they can see something specific. But the process of retrieving memories and associating them to data are essential to complete the function of sight. So as time progresses and more memories are associated with particular light patterns and electrical signals, and those memories are then connected to those light patterns, well, then eventually a little baby will look at the mommy and smile. Eventually, a little baby will go, that round thing right there, that mom and dad keep saying, ball, 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 ball. Oh, now I see that, and I think that's not a thingamajig, but that's a ball. So if you don't think it's a miracle when a baby says ball, you're not really paying attention to creation. Like, it's pretty mind-boggling. Eyes are the second most complex organ in the body after the brain. Eyeballs have over two million working parts, two million, just on one eye, including another one million nerve fibers that connect each eyeball to your brain. And as we know from the spy movies we watch, whenever they use a retinal scan to get into any door, every eyeball, although looks identical in shape and form in the creative nature of it, is uniquely yours. No one else has your eyes. Hmm. Consider our hands. Everyone put your hands up. Put your hands up. Oh, yeah. Put your hands up. Our hands are unique, once again, to humans, right? They enable us to perform in unmatched ways to any other created being. It's as if God said, you are different. He set us apart in creation. You remember the scripture? He says, I am creating you in my image. You are a reflection of me, and our hands tell the story. Nothing else can do what our hands can do. They are controlled by an unusually large neurological command center in our brain that gives us really uniquely human abilities. For example, the human can perform a variety of grips. We can hold heavy things like a bowling ball and very fragile things like a potato chip. That's unique. Hands can perform anything from delicate surgeries to the rigor and the wear of heavy construction. The unique ridges and swirls on our fingertips also act as data collectors, connecting and triggering memories, right? 
And as you know, every human hand is unique. The fingerprint is 100% yours, as well as the lines in your hand, creating another signature touch of the creator on you. So let's think about another thing. Let's think about our DNA. Everyone say, Dunna. <laughs> DNA, as in Dunna. Everybody say Dunna. Just for funs. Funsies, guys. DNA. One gram of DNA can store the equivalent of 700,000 gigabytes of information. So in total, your DNA stores the equivalent of over 156 million gigabytes of information. That's 156,000 terabytes. It wasn't until recent memory that you were able to go buy a hard drive with one terabyte. Your body is a supercomputer. Like, it's ridiculous. And if you stretched out the DNA in one of your DNA cells, just one, if you stretched it out, it would stretch out to over two meters long. And if you did this with all the DNA in your body, with all your cells, your DNA would stretch out to Pluto and back. And I'm not talking about at Disney World. I'm talking about in outer space, that Pluto. It would, that short circuits my brain. Anybody, like, you have enough DNA to stretch to Pluto? Like, I literally, my DNA is short-circuiting. Like, I don't get it. I don't, but I, I just want you to know, uh, I read it on Google, so it has to be true. <laughs> and then I double-checked it, because I was like, this can't be true. And it, it was, because once you have two sources, it's true. <laughs> get this, though. All of us share approximately 99.9% .9 of the same genetic material, the same DNA, meaning you and me, and all of every other person in the world and everyone who's ever lived, we are 99.9% .9 the same. This shared DNA writes the code so we function the way we function. I'm sure doctors are very thankful for this, that we pretty much all operate the same. But the tiny amount of DNA, 0.1% is what makes you different from everybody else. This area of our DNA is responsible for determining our physical characteristics, meaning what's your eye color, how big is your head, <laughs> you know, stuff like that, and personality traits, 0.1%. Is anybody else blown away? Yeah. Yes, me too. Okay, a few more crazy human body facts. You want a few more? These are just for fun. The human, the human heart pumps an average of six liters of blood every minute. I'm not sure if I can fill up six liters of water from my kitchen faucet in a minute. We have an automatic thermostat in our body. Like, we literally have an HVAC system hardwired into us. Guys, this is unbelievable, and it never breaks down. It's 98.6 degrees all the time, no matter how hot or cold it is. God thought of everything. He's like, listen, I got you, HVAC. He sets the temperature, the thermometer. It gets off by one degree. Guess what? You're on the mat. You're out. You're like, my, my unit's not working. <laughs> all right. Get this one. Our nose, and our, our nose and our brain work together to remember and recognize over 50,000 cents. Our fingernails grow three or four times faster than our toenails. I think God did that because he knew our clipping our toenails is annoying. <laughs> the fastest growing nail is our middle finger. Again, God knew. God had a plan and a purpose in mind. Get this one. The raw material, the basic chemicals in your body, guess where they're found? in the dust of the ground. 
But obviously the dust of the ground cannot arrange itself into tissues, but someone could. Genesis 2, 7, profound and powerful. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the dust man's nostrils. And the dust man, the dirt man, guess what? He became a living being. God made and God breathed and life was born. You are a living, breathing miracle. If you don't think about it that much, you should. If you're not aware of it, I'm trying to make you. You need to think about how God made you. Do you know that you may be 99.9% the same as everyone else, but that unique touch that God made on you matters. It matters a whole lot. It's his signature on you and for you. He, he made you because he loves you. Every morning when you rise, it's because of him. It's everything you smell, everything you see, everything you hear, everything you touch, everything you taste. It's because he did it. He made you the way he made you. And that is something we have to come into our understanding of is that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are made in the image of God. He made you things like an overcomer. He made you compassionate. He made you kind. He made you creative. He made you smart. He made you, he made you funny. He made you curious. He made some of you funny. He made you thoughtful. <laughs> he made you adventurous. He made you strong, right? He made you beautiful and bold. He made you quiet and, and thoughtful. He made you gentle and kind. He made you quiet. He made you loud. He made everybody different. He made you the way he wanted to make you because he is the giver of life. But we, can't remember, we, can't, we cannot forget that there is a taker. There is a taker, the enemy. And he's trying to do the exact opposite. He's trying to tell you that you can't, that you failed, that you're done, that you're not enough, that you're not worth it, that no one cares about you, that no one likes you, that you're ugly, that you're stupid, that you're a nobody, that you're going, no, that you're going nowhere, but you know where all that needs to go? All that needs to go to hell right where the enemy lives. None of it's true. None of it's true about you, so no matter what you think, you feel inside there is a truth about you that comes from your creator. I keep saying you are God-made because we live in a modern society that believes that the modern self is actually self-made. And it's not. Even if we believe in God, there is a temptation for so many of us to believe that really what makes us us are the things that we endeavor and do. So the effort we make, how hard we push, our desires, our abilities, and, our, and even our feelings, these are the things we feel like shape us. But the enemy can get a hold of our feelings and twist it. But we act and live and believe that the things we do, the way we build ourselves up, the dreams we chase that we must make it happen, that we either make it or break it. There is an accomplishment piece of us that is constantly trying to build ourselves. It's called self, being self-made, right? How many times have you heard it say, like, I'm a self-made millionaire? Really? Really? Okay. Don't think that exists. No one does it by themselves. And then there's the feeling side of the modern self. And this is what we, man... This is taking over our lives, taking over our culture. People are giving authority to the way they feel. We give authority to our feelings over any form of external truth, which includes the sacred truths of the Bible or even miraculous truths of our human body. For example, someone says, I am depressed. No, you feel depressed. Listen, 
Don't say I am depressed and give authority to something that is not true about you. And that, that doesn't mean it's not a real feeling. It doesn't mean it has dramatic impact on your health and on your reality every day. I'm not minimizing depression, but what I'm trying to say as an example about the way we feel is the things that I would rather us say about our identity and who we are are things like you are more than a conqueror. I am more than a conqueror. I am more than enough. I am a co-heir with Christ. I am victorious. I will not let my feelings dictate the truth about who I am. I will not let my feelings take authority over the truth about who God says I am. We give authority to our feelings. And when we do that, we are operating under the mode of being self-made. And that's called expressive individualism. I've always said it, individualism, individualism is, is, is runs rampant in our culture, especially here in America. Because when we start to feel uh, our, that our feelings, because when our feelings become what shape us, to say it this way, then who we are becoming will quickly drift from the authority source of our creator. Now, clearly feelings are good. God created them. He wants us to feel good, bad. He wants us to know. They're like our sensors. You know what I mean? Like, you ever met anybody with a, a low emotional intelligence? Or they just don't read the room very well? You're like, man, that's tough to be around. It's kind of painful to watch. Like, there is good value in our emotions and our feelings, right? Like, I get it. Like, I want to, we, we need it. We need to be in, we need to be in a healthy place, a good mental place. However, Feelings aren't intended to be the builder of self. This sort of thinking is where we get sayings that we say commonly, so commonly set, throw around so easily, like, you be you. You be you, man. You be you. I've always joked about this for years. I've joked about this little saying because it's a little bit of a, a problem, really. One of the epic moments of my life was when I was on vacation, and I, I made the mistake of telling someone what I do. You didn't laugh at that, but I thought it was funny. Um, they're like, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, I'm a pastor. And there was this big, long, dramatic pause. And it was like, then all of a sudden, like, I could just see him processing, like, what do I say to that? And he finally, like, musters up enough, like, uh, personal sympathy, I guess, is what I would call it. Personal sympathy. And he goes, man, you be you, man. You be you. I've said that story many times, but I'm just always like, man, what do you, you say that to a doctor, too? I'm a doctor. You be you, man. You be you. You say that like to an electrician, you be you, man. I mean, I just thought it was kind of funny. Like for some reason, he felt a little sorry for me in that moment. Like you're a pastor? Oh man, you be you, bro. You be you. I don't know what you're doing, but okay. Listen, that, that saying, or even the other saying like, hey, do you? Do you, man. Do you, baby. Mm-hmm. Rock them Crocs with the socks all day. You do you. More power to you. See, here's what, here's what those things are embedded in. You be you. Do you. It is embedded with you need to express who you are no matter what all the time because that is the authority source of your life is what you think. And here's the thing. There is some measure of that that's okay. Like, listen, you, if you want to rock the Crocs with the socks, go for it. I don't care. But, but listen, when we feel that the authority source of our life is us, we are self-made. But I just got to remind you, we are not. We are God-made. 
We are God made. He made us, and the maker must have authority in our life. He must be our truth. We can't make the truth. He is the truth. And a prominent Enlightenment philosopher, I know you were ready for that today, named Jean Jacques Rousseau. And the Enlightenment is very much where a lot of these thoughts about the modern self has evolved from. But he said this statement. He said, man is born free, yet everywhere he is in chains. Man is born free. At first glance, we might say, amen to that. Retweet that. Well, re-X that. I think that's what we have to do now. There's no Twitter anymore. It's called X. Some of you don't even know Twitter's so irrelevant. So here's the deal. We see Rousseau and we think, man, that's true. He's holding, the, the world is holding me down. Like, I'm in chains. Like, I'm not free anymore. But honest and intelligent kind of reflection on a statement like that helps us realize that this is complete nonsense. Of all the creatures on earth, human beings are born remarkably, remarkably dependent on others and for a remarkably long time. Think about it. Most animals are walking within minutes or hours. They are learning to find their own food within moments or weeks. So the response to, to Rousseau should be, Humans are actually born utterly dependent. They are free. But we continually try to persuade ourselves that such an obvious fact is not true. We think we are in charge of our destiny. We think we are in charge of who we are. We live in a world that is constantly drifting to try and build the foundation of life as a self-made individual but you have an origin story at your birth. You have an origin story through your eyes, through your hands, through your DNA that is telling us that you are nothing more than a dependent person, dependent on your creator who provides for you your entire life through the whole of creation. You are nothing more than an dependent child on their parent. So what did David write when he said, for you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. He created you inside and out and just to give you value to the inmost being, he says, I care about what you feel. I created that. He created you to be you, but a better way to say it isn't you be you, but to be the you that God created you to be. And I know that that's just a play on words, but it's so critical. It's just a slight shift to put authority where it belongs. 99.9% human being. God made us to be his people, his chosen people. You are 0.1% you, created as a unique person with a special purpose. Thank God we are not all the same. But Lord, I will put it in perspective. You've done 99.9% .9 of the work already. I just get to sit and enjoy what it means to be human. I just get to sit in awe and wonder of the way you've created me. That, Lord, I got a built-in HVAC unit. That, Lord, if you stretched out all my blood vessels, they would stretch around the world two times. True. I'm going to test that someday. I just need a volunteer. Listen, the way he created you, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. It should put you in awe and in wonder of who God is and the fact that he loves you so much that he put his unique fingerprint on you, that he put his unique signature touch on who you are. And you're like, well, what does this mean? What do I walk out of here thinking about? Here's what I walk out of here thinking about. Man, I got to live in the awe and wonder 
of a God who made me, where I don't think I got to do the work anymore, that I don't have to strive, that I get to say, you know what, I don't have to do it all. I get to be fully, fully human and connect to the God who is already at miraculously at work. He's not going to let me fall. He's not going to let me fail. I'm more than a conqueror. I am with God every day. He carries me through. He knows my thoughts when I sit, when I rise. I mean, like, do I have to keep saying it? Like, he's got you. He's got you. And he's in control. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. He's got you. So here's what I do want to do. I want to respond with worship today. Our band's going to be coming. We're going to worship because, again, when we are in awe and wonder of his creation, of us, I just feel like it should bring us into worship. And when we worship, we tap into why he made us. And to lead us into worship, I'm just going to read another long passage from Isaiah chapter 25. And I'll say this, Isaiah is the prophet in Israel. He's a prophet in Israel about 600 years before Jesus shows up. And he is talking to the Israelites who have been scattered throughout the region because their enemies from Babylon had come in and ransacked the city and sieged the city. And it's known as the Babylonian captivity. And now Isaiah is coming and he's speaking the word of the Lord to the people saying, I need you to return to Jerusalem. I need you to trust me. I need you to trust that my power is made perfect and, and, and my people coming together. And so he's saying, listen, come back. Let's rebuild the city. Let's rebuild uh, the, the, the temple and rebuild his people. He says, remember, I'm your maker. Then he says this, and I'm going to read the message version of Isaiah 45, starting in verse 18. It says, God, creator of the heavens, he is, remember, God, maker of earth. He put it on its foundation, built it from scratch. He didn't go to all that trouble just to leave it empty, nothing in it. He made it to be lived in. This God says, I am God, the only, the one and only I don't just talk to myself or mumble under my breath. I never told Jacob, seek me in emptiness, in dark nothingness. I am God. I work out in the open, saying what's right, setting things right. That's called authority. So gather around. Come on in, all you refugees and castoffs. They don't seem to know much, do they? Those who carry around their no-God blocks of wood praying for help to a dead stick. He's talking about those idols that we, we choose to put our faith in in life. So tell me. What do you think? Look at the evidence. Put your heads together. Make your case. Who told you in a long time ago what's actually going on here? Who made, sen who made sense of things for you? Wasn't I the one? God? I mean, it had to be me. I'm the only God there is. The only God who does things right and knows how to help. So turn to me and be helped. Be saved. Everyone, whoever, and wherever you are, I am God, the only God there is, the only, the one and only. I promise in my own name, every word out of my mouth does what it says. I never take back what I say. Everyone is going to end up kneeling before me. Everyone is going to end up saying to me, yes, salvation and strength are in God. But all who have raged against him will be brought before him, disgraced in their unbelief. But all who are connected will have a robust, praising, good life in God. I just want us to worship today. Our maker, the creator of the heavens and the earth, and the creator of you. So would you stand with us? Lord, we just give you this time. 
We're going to worship you now, Father. May this be an expression of our love and our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.